Welcome. Thank you for joining me. This is the Catholic Adventurer, live throughout the galaxy. It is November 22nd in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm very happy that you're joining me today. I'm going to be talking today about how God goes big so that we can go home. God goes big every time with everything. Everything. God always goes big. Let's fade that music out. Thank you for joining me on X at For the Queen BVM. And if you're catching me on YouTube, first of all, if you're catching me on YouTube and Facebook, it's a miracle because everything went wrong today. So if you're catching me on Facebook and YouTube, you're doing so at Catholic Adventurer. And once again, at For the Queen BVM on X, where I am super, super active. If you're not joining me there, you're missing a lot. Pardon me as I try to get my thoughts together. I have a nice little show lined up for you today. And you know it's you know that it's going to be a good show and it's going to affect people. You know when that's true. You know that that's true when everything goes wrong. When everything goes wrong. Everything went wrong. So obviously this is going to affect a lot of people, so the devil is getting in the way of it. And I'm not being dramatic there. I'm being very, very serious. Before we actually start the show, before we get into the subject, let me just explain how we're going to do this today. First of all, my original plan was to take calls. I don't think I'm going to do that now because it was just catastrophe getting on, on the air today, on the digital air today. Catastrophe, catastrophe. Unbelievable. You, you should have seen it. You wouldn't have believed it. So I don't think I'm going to take calls today. But what I am going to do is I'm going to do... There are going to be two legs, I guess, to this show. The first, we're going to talk about how God goes big every time. God goes big so that we can go home. You've heard, the, you've heard this before, go big or go home. Well, God always goes big so that we can go home. And then for the second leg, I'm going to talk a little bit about today's uh, mass readings. I'm going to talk about today's mass readings, which I have been over the past couple of uh, daily broadcasts. Because they're just so powerful and there's so much we learn, especially in the book of Maccabees over the past couple of days. How do you get how do you get the second half of the show and why am I doing it that way? God goes big so that we can go home. Let me set a foundation for you like this. Everything that God does is a big deal. I mean a really, really big deal. He doesn't do firecrackers. He does, you know, atomic bombs kind of deals. Everything he does is a big deal. If you look at the history, and I said this on X this morning, if you look at the, just for one example, the salvation history of, of man, that, and that's just one example. It's a big example, but it's only one example. If you look at the salvation history in Scripture, and you go from Genesis all the way to the Gospels, salvation history is a pretty big deal. Every step of the way, it was a big deal. Every single step of the way from the history of the Jews, the exodus of the Jews, parting of the Red Sea, Moses, the Ten Commandments. Everything was a big deal, okay? So God didn't, when God, for instance, brought Israel out of bondage, he made a big deal out of it, starting with the plagues. Well, not starting with, but including the plagues, right? God didn't just appear to Pharaoh, right? God sent a messenger to Pharaoh and said, if you do not do what I'm asking you to do, I'm going to rain hell down on Egypt. <laughs> and he did 10 times. I think there were 10 plagues, right? I'm pretty sure. 10 times. You look at the parting of the Red Sea, pretty big deal. Did it play out the way we see it in the movies? It probably wasn't that. It probably wasn't like that, but it was still a big deal, right? Even, even... <laughs> Even the Egyptian, it was legendary throughout the region, what God did for Israel, including the parting of the Red Seas. Okay, it was legendary throughout the region because God goes big. Then you look at the prophets, the miracles, the signs and wonders through the prophets, and so on and so on, right? You look at uh, the victories of Israel. You look at everything in the gospel. God goes big. Everything is a big deal. Why is that and how is that? God is the eternal truth. Everything that comes from him, everything that comes from him is found in him perfectly. Even things you don't think of, think about. Humor, right? Our sense of humor comes from God. Humor, intelligence, creativity, 
Holiness, obviously. Beauty. Everything. Everything that comes from God, everything that you experience every second of your life, and even things that you don't even know about or don't know about yet, everything that come, everything that is comes from God, right? And so everything that comes from Him is found in Him perfectly, wholly, not H-O-L-Y, W-H-O-L-E, wholly is found in Him. Okay, He has the best sense of humor, He's the most beautiful, He's the most incredible creator, and so on. Everything is found in him perfectly. So when God acts on something, when God acts on the created order, the human order, whatever, when God acts on anything, he orders it and brings it to a sort of perfection. And why do I say sort of? When he acts on us, he can't bring, to to bring us to perfection, we would have to become like Adam and Eve before the fall. That happens in heaven that happens in heaven. Ultimately, it happens, but it doesn't happen on earth, right? So he brings it to a sort of perfection. He orders it, rather, to a sort of perfection. He goes big. Everything is a big deal when God acts on it. Why? Because God doesn't, God doesn't shortchange himself, right? God doesn't shortchange himself. If you give your children a gift or if you act on something, you don't do it in a cheap way. You try to act on something or to provide something in the most perfect way possible that you have the capacity to provide or to do, to act, right? Jesus says something like this in in scripture, you know, who among you would give your child, I think, a, a serpent when he asks for bread or something like that, or might've been a rock when he asks for bread. You try to act to order things to a certain perfection, right? And how imperfect are you? How flawed are you? Yet you still try to bring it to a sort of perfection to reflect reflect the wholeness of your intent and desire. Well, if humans do that, why wouldn't God do the same? And when God orders something to a certain perfection, he's doing it from the perspective of, of perfect being the per, from from the point from or from the position of perfect being so he does everything big because that's who he is i feel like i wrote an article about this on my website once i've been doing this for a few years so i've kind of lost track with what i did and didn't write <laughs> ideas that i had but i didn't actually make them happen but i'm pretty sure i did that one i'll find it on i'll put it on this episode's on demand page i'll find it i'm pretty sure i did that so God goes big with everything. Even the church, even when when he established the church, he went big. The church is a very, very big deal. I'm going to get into that in a second. And I'm going to get into an, a few other examples where God goes big. We're going to talk about why and how he went big in those examples. First, a quick break from the action. Just want to say hello and welcome. Those of you catching me live on X at For the, for the Queen BVM. Hello, welcome. Thank you for joining me. And if you're joining me on YouTube, or Facebook, you're doing so at Catholic Adventurer, and I want to thank you for joining me. You can subscribe to my website and get exclusive content for $5 a month. Dirt cheap. And you know what you're doing for $5 a month? You're not sending me and my family to Maui. You're helping to put food on our table, and we thank you very much for it. So let's get back into it. So I say even the church is a big deal. For this component of the episode, we're talking about examples of where God went big. I mean, really big. He went big in relationship to himself and how big and serious <laughs> and bold is God, right? So let's talk, we're going to talk about a few of those examples, how God goes big so that we can go home. The first that I wanted to point out is the church. There are a few showstoppers in the history of creation, right? A few like amazing things. One of them, I would say, is the creation of the angels. One of them is the creation of man, Showstoppers, things that went wow, that were like, wow, that is a that is a huge deal. Huge deal. One is the creation of the angels. God created spiritual beings, spiritual creatures with personship who had a free mind and a free will. Because before the angels, only God had that, right? And then he made human beings, big, big deal, because we're spiritual and physical, also a free mind and a free will. I won't get into that, but I could do it. I could talk for an hour about why that's amazing. 
Then he made, uh, not not then, I'm not going in order, but just bear, bear with me. God also created space and time. He created space and time. It's easy to look at that and say, that's a showstopper. That one's pretty amazing. But I would disagree. Because for the infinite to create the finite, to me, is just another day at the office. He's infinite. The finite isn't that big of a deal. Not from the perspective of the infinite, it isn't. So for the infinite to create the finite, not really a showstopper. But you know what is? When God established his holy church, that's a showstopper. The beacon of goodness and truth in a fallen world. And it's a, it's a mirror reflection of the incarnation, which I'm not going to talk about yet. I'm going to get into that later. But it's a mirror image of the incarnation where God became man to plant the beacon of truth and goodness in a fallen world, sort of a gateway to heaven. And, and then the mass itself are a reflection of what goes on in heaven. That is a showstopper more so than the creation of space and time. That is a showstopper, the establishment of the church. That is a showstopper. God went big, really, really big. The pillar and foundation of truth. God went big so that we can go home, the establishment of the church. So take the church seriously. Take the faith seriously. Take your faith seriously. Respect it for what it is. Don't try to invent it for what it is as as something that it isn't. Respect it for what it is, you know, because it's a showstopper. It's one of God's showstoppers. The establishment of the Holy Church, God went big so that we can go home. Really, really, really big. My friends, pray and meditate on this yourselves. But I believe very strongly that the establishment of the Holy Church is much more of a showstopper than the creation of space and time. I really firmly believe that. Hey, it's just my opinion. You pray on it. Meditate on it. See what the Holy Spirit says to you. Now, one of my favorite showstoppers, where God went so, so big, is the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. God became man. When God did that, he infiltrated enemy territory and took on human flesh. He became one of us. Let me be very clear. God became one of us. As St. Paul says, he emptied himself of his glory to take on human flesh. God, okay, the creator of everything, (laughs) God became a human being. Showstopper. (laughs) I mean, the world is, is swimming in sin. The human order is fallen. What can possibly, what can possibly make all of that right? And God said, well, I guess I'll have to go down there. (laughs) I mean, that's a really big deal. That's a really, really big deal. I almost feel like the devil looked up to heaven when that happened, when the incarnation happened. I feel like the devil looked up to heaven and said, hey, that's not fair. (laughs) Hey, that's not fair. You're cheating. Nothing else can save humanity except for God becoming one of us so that he can sacrifice himself for us, which is still a tremendous mystery to me. In the incarnation, God went, I mean, you know, we see all these images of the baby Jesus in the manger and the Christmas crash and all this stuff. We often easily lose sight of just how big that is, that God, God became one of us. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. That's big. That's huge. God doesn't do cheap tricks. God doesn't dole out chump change. He was born of a virgin. Why? Well, it's just, a, it's just an interesting trick. It's an interesting miracle. Nope, that is not why. For, for God to take on hu- human form or human nature, right? Obviously, he has to be born, right? But to be born in the usual way of human generation, to be born in the usual way of human generation, sin would have to be passed from the parents to the child, To be born in the usual way of human generation, he would have to be born in sin. And if he was born in sin, if he were stained by original sin, he would not not have been the unblemished Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. The, The plan of salvation could not have worked if he were born in the usual way, right, by the union between a man and a woman. So... 
the man had to be left out of it, but he still needs the, the God still needs a body, and therefore he needs a womb, and therefore he needs a woman, and so God in God's formula, a man was left out of it and out of the generation, out of the physical generation of a human being, a man was left out of it. In, in other words, a man was not left out of the picture. A man was just left out of the formula for human generation. That's it. And then the woman that he involved was a pure and sinless creature. And, you know, Mary was sinless and she was perfect in virtue and all this, but even her immaculate conception, right? She she was conceived free of original sin. Even her preservation from original sin is an act of God where God went big, where God said, you know, Jesus the 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 merit, what you merit on the cross later i'm going to apply now in the conception of 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 mary who will be your mother i'm going to apply that now <laughs> and again i feel like the devil looked up to heaven and said hey that's not fair <laughs> hey you're cheating you can't do stuff like that <laughs> big deal god went really really big he went really big in the incarnation and in in the and in in the incarnation of Jesus and the immaculate conception of Mary he went really big no cheap tricks and then Jesus is born right and then for a period we don't see a whole lot of big going on largely because the gospels don't offer us a lot of the story of Jesus's early life Right, you know, you have the magi coming along and you know doling out gifts. I I don't think that's a big thing. We have a limited amount of data in terms of Jesus' early life, so it's hard to say if God went big for the first thirty years of Jesus' life. But we must, we should look at it this way: that some things that we do know about Jesus' early early life may actually be very big things that we just think are trivial because to us they are common. Maybe the Holy Family is, a, is, is an example of God going big because maybe the family is an example of God going big. But because to us it is common, we don't see it as something big. But maybe it really is. If the family is the domestic church and a reflection of the Holy Trinity itself— Maybe that's a much bigger deal than than we give credit for. What else do we know from Jesus's life? Let's take the finding of the temple, which I can meditate on on that all, all day. Maybe I'll share a meditation on the find of the finding of Jesus in the temple. Um, that'll probably be for subscribers only, though. I have to do some stuff for subscribers, even though I only have one or two of them. <laughs> if you'd like to be a subscriber, it's five dollars a month. Go to my website. Find the links, click them. Okay. The finding of the temple. Jesus is, I guess he's fielding questions and he's asking questions of the elders. Right? So we have the the establishment and growth and expression of knowledge. And then when Mary and Joseph find him, we also have almost a void of knowledge because they're confused by what Jesus says to them. Right? So we have the expression of knowledge, the building and growth of knowledge. And then we have a void of knowledge, the absence of of a knowledge or of an understanding. Maybe, maybe knowing and understanding, maybe these are big deals that God built into the human experience that we just take for granted because they're common. Because to grow in knowledge and understanding is an interaction with truth it self. It's not just interaction, an interaction with true things. It's an interaction with truth itself, intrinsic in the human in, in the created order, or inherent rather in the created order. Maybe that's a an example of God going big, giving us the ability to, you know, the angels don't have the ability to learn. We do. Maybe that's a bigger deal than we give credit for. Okay, I, that's another one I can talk for hours about that one, but we have to move on. Then in Jesus' life, we see him. Now get this one, because this is this is really amazing. He heals the lame. He restores sight to the blind. 
He cures lepers. He liberates those possessed by the devil. Right? Here we see that he didn't just make people feel better. He made them be better. He made them to be better. He didn't just make them feel better. He didn't just ease their pain or ease their suffering. He made them be better. That's God going big. Let me tell you, Jesus restored sight to the blind, right? Okay. Wouldn't it have been a bigger trick to say, you know, it sucks that your eyes don't work. Let me give you a new set of eyes. It might be tempting to think that would be an even bigger trick, but no, it wouldn't. That would be a cheap trick. That would be a cheap trick. Here's a new set of eyes. Now you have four, two that don't work, but two that work perfectly. That would be a cheap trick. Here's a new set of eyes. I'm going to replace the ones that you have that don't work, and I'm going to replace them. I'm going to take those ones out, and I'm going to replace them with these ones that do work. Cheap trick by comparison. Why? Because Jesus, in restoring the sight to the blind, healing the lame, whatever, he restores a thing to its perfection. He doesn't just give up on it. He doesn't give up on those blind eyes, on that shriveled hand, on that lame, broken leg, whatever. He restores things to their perfection. He does not give up on them. And that is a big deal. Because he is truth itself, right? When he acts on something, he restores it to the truth of its being. And he restores us to the truth of our being. But, it, but damn, does it take a lot of time. <laughs> and I'm going somewhere with that, by the way. So put that in your pocket. Don't forget that. He restores us to the truth of our being. But it takes a while. It takes a while. Jesus doing all the healing and restoring to sight and all this stuff, that's a big deal, not just because it's God showing his mastery over nature, God showing his mastery and supremacy over the created order. It is that, but that is not entirely why it's a big deal. It's easy to say, well, he made somebody, he made a blind person see. That's a huge deal. Yes, but it's not a huge deal just because he made them see or he made them walk, or he made them well, or he made them whole, or he freed them from demons. It's a big deal because of why he did it and how he did it. He restored the broken to to perfection. He restored that which is diminished from its perfection. He restored it to perfection without giving up on it. He restored it to its perfection. He restored the eyes to their perfect state. He restored legs and bodies and, and even minds to their perfection. It's a pretty huge deal. The perfect acting on the imperfect raises it to a, to a state of perfection, to a state of perfection. And that brings me to the ultimate point of this. As I close the first half of the show, before I get to the point, let me remind you, if you'd like to continue this episode, check out my website at catholicadventurer.com slash live. You'll also see the link in my bio. I'll be continuing the second half of the show. We're going to be talking about the mass readings of today in my super, super anxious state with everything having gone wrong at the start of this show. Again, catholicadventurer.com slash live. There's a live chat room in there. You can log in with your social media credentials. I do not get that information. It's totally safe. It's only... That's only to make it easier for you. It has nothing to do with me. I don't get that information. I don't keep that information. My system does not store that information. It's all good and golden. All right. So the ultimate point of this is of the God goes big thing. We're always asking, for, asking God for things, many things, sometimes silly things, right? Sometimes they're silly things we're asking God for. They might be important to us, but ultimately they're silly. Believe me, I I can recite a litany of stupid things that I've asked God for that were that were not so stupid to me at the time. But often, it's important things we're asking from God. Really important things, sometimes desperate things. I I'm there now. <laughs> I'm in that position right now. You know, I'm out of work with a family to provide for, and every day I, <laughs> I look up. I look up to God and I say, God, what is your problem? <laughs> why, are you, 
<laughs> Why are you taking this long? And so on. But the, and that's believing this is not the first time in my life I've had that experience where I'm just waiting forever for God to answer what really is a desperate and worthy prayer. And that's all of us, right? Always asking God, even if even if it's this prayer, God make me holy, or God help me to get over or overcome this sin, or God help me to help me with this crisis, this health crisis, this life crisis, whatever. And sometimes it seems just God is just dragging His feet. Why? Well, sometimes, sometimes because it's for our good. Right? Sometimes God is, is, I'm going to answer that prayer, but not yet. Or, I'm going to answer that prayer, but you're not ready for it yet. Right? And sometimes the, his answer to a prayer is no. I think, I think, I personally think, now no is still an answer, right? <laughs> so that's still God answering a prayer. But I think God doesn't really say no. I think usually his no's are really not yet, or his no's are okay, I'll do that, but not the way you're asking for it, right? I don't really think he says no to a prayer. I don't think. But sometimes, too, maybe more more often than not, God takes seems, seems to take forever to answer a prayer because he doesn't go cheap. He goes big every time. It's his nature. It's who he is. God goes big. Everything he does is big and serious. He restores all things to a sort of perfection. I say sort of because we're in a fallen order, in a fallen world, right? Perfection only exists in heaven. So he orders everything to a sort of perfection. And sometimes that's hard to do. It's not hard for him to do. It's just hard to make manifest in a world that is so imperfect. But when God comes through... He comes through big in the most, oh man, I, I've experienced this a few times in my life. He comes through in a way that's big and unexpected and super, super, super surprising. Super surprising. Boy, has God got a sense of humor. God goes big, and that's why sometimes it seems like he's taking forever to answer a prayer. Because he's, how long did it take him to, to, to rescue us from sin? Thousands of years from the time of the fall to the time of the crucifixion, right? Because it took time to put everything in place. I mean, there were so many components that had to be put in place before his plan could be carried out. So I would say, when you're in a position like that, just keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Annoy God with your prayers. Pound down the, the door to heaven with your prayers. And be patient. God goes big every time. We're the ones who go small. We're the ones who are cheap. But God isn't like that. He restores all things to a sort of perfection. He restores all things to a state of truth. He restores all things to a state of truth. Sometimes that takes time. Sometimes we're the ones who get in the way. <laughs> Pray to God for, for the things that you need and ask him, also pray for the grace to not get in the way of the things that you need. That's going to take us to the close of the first half of the show, which is streaming live on X at For the Queen BVM, Facebook and YouTube at Catholic Adventurer. I'm going to continue this show talking about sacred scripture. Today's mass readings, Maccabees is just an amazing book. I'm going to continue this show on my website, catholicadventurer.com slash live catholicadventurer.com slash live. You'll also find the link in my bio if you want to get lazy and not type it out. And hopefully I'll see you there. I'm going to take two minutes. All right, so welcome to the second half of the show. You're catching me on my website at catholicadventurer.com or you're catching this on demand and you're probably a subscriber. And I thank you very much for your support. You're helping to put food on my family's table. You are certainly not sending us on exotic trips to Maui. <laughs> thank you for your support of what I do. The whole point of why I do what I do is to bring people closer to God and to build people in holiness. Not because I'm so super holy myself, you know, I'm on the journey with you. But that's the whole point of why I do what I do. I can talk all day long about news, about Catholic news, about politics and all this stuff, but it's kind of not what I do. It's it's and it's really not what I want to do. I want to do something that 
that really matters, you know, by helping God to make saints, by bringing people closer to him and closer to holiness. So there are a hundred things I could do these podcasts on, but I choose to do them only about things that make others holy. I've been doing, I've been either mentioning or talking about mass readings over the past few live daily live broadcasts. We've been in, in, in the book of Maccabees lately, <clears throat> excuse me, in at least for the first readings. And between Maccabees and, and the gospel readings, you can tell the church or God through the church is paving the way for Advent, right? Advent is where we, we prepare for the coming of the Lord. And right now we're in this phase where we're preparing for the preparation of the coming of the Lord. You can see the pieces coming together. So I'm going to go through at least the first half of Maccabees, and I'm going to talk about why it's so moving. Second book of Maccabees, chapter 7. It happened that seven brothers with their mother were arrested and tortured with whips and scourges, and scourges by the king to force them to eat pork in violation of God's law. The first thing that stands out to me in this, in this reading is that seems like the modern world today that we're punished and punished and punished by the culture, by society, sometimes by employers, right? Or by people we trust. Trust, We're punished because they're forcing us to consume what is false in violation of God's law and in violation of reality. They're forcing us to consume what is false through the eyes, through the ears, through compelled action, compelled speech. They're forcing us to consume what is false in violation of God's law and in violation of God's reality, the reality that God made. Going back to the reading, most admirable and worthy of everlasting remembrance was the mother. Most admir- the most admirable and worthy of everlasting remembrance was the mother. Boy, if that isn't an echo or a foreshadow of the Blessed Virgin Mary, I don't know what is. Most admirable and worthy of everlasting remembrance was the mother who saw her seven sons perish in a single day, yet bore it courageously because of her hope in the Lord. Again, we're seeing an image of the Blessed Virgin Mary here because the Holy Virgin watched her son executed and murdered, tortured, tortured, and then executed and murdered, and yet bore it courageously because of her hope in the Lord. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Filled with a noble spirit that stirred her womanly heart with manly courage, she exhorted each of her sons in the language of their ancestors with these words. Now, listen carefully to these words. I do not know how you came into existence in my womb. It was not I who gave you breath of life, nor was it I who set in order the elements of which each of you is composed. Therefore, since it is the creator of the universe who shapes each man's beginning as he brings about the origin of everything, he, in his mercy, will give you back both breath and life because you now disregard yourselves for the sake of his law. We can talk about how this foreshadows the cross in, in, in a sense, or not to foreshadows the cross, but the cross happened so that what she is saying can come true, that the Lord will give you back both breath and life. That only happens because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But let me back up this whole idea of, it was not I who gave you the breath of life. You know where we first see the breath of life? When God breathes life into Adam. You know where also we see a sort of breath of life? When Jesus breathes on the apostles and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. The breath of life gave Adam, I guess, the spirit in life, right? Maybe that was the ensoulment of the human creature, the breath of life. The, when Jesus breathes on the apostles, he tells them to receive the Holy Spirit, which they do subsequently at Pentecost. But this is also a, a breath of new life, right, to receive the Holy Spirit. And sandwiched between these two references— 
we have here. It was not I who gave you breath of life, nor was it I who set in order the elements of which each of you is composed. That's pretty deep. Now fast forward. Well, maybe I don't have to read the whole thing, but I will fast forward to the explanation. <laughs> so the king implores this woman to convince her son, her, the last of the seven, to just give in, eat the pork. He says, I'll make him rich, I'll make him wealthy, I'll give him power. Or I think he says this to the son, and then he tells the mother to convince him. And the mother is like, okay, I'll convince him. And then she goes to talk to her son again, again, in a language the king doesn't understand. But she doesn't try to convince him to give in. She says this, Son, have pity on me, who carried you in my womb for nine months, nursed you for three years, brought you up, educated, and supported you to your present age. I beg you, child, to look at the heavens and the earth and see all that is in them. Then you will know that God did not make them out of existing things. And in the same way, the human race came into existence. Do not be afraid of this executioner, but be worthy of your brothers and accept death, so that in the time of mercy I may receive you again with them. Wow. The time of mercy is the resurrection. It's life after death, which not all Jews believed in. I think uh, the Pharisees did, but the Sadducees didn't, for instance. This is hope in, the in, a, in a resurrection to come, right? Or it might not be hope in a physical resurrection, or it may be, but it's definitely hope of a resurrection of life itself to come. She had scarcely finished speaking with when, when the youth said, What are you waiting for? I will not obey the king's command. I obey the command of the law given to our fathers through Moses. But you, who have contrived every kind of affliction for the Hebrews, you will not escape the hands of God. Wow. This is a real hero's story, Maccabees. You who have contrived every affliction for the Hebrews, you will not escape the hands of God. But I will die, I'm adding this part, but I will die out of loyalty to him and to his law and to the covenant. Then in the gospel, first let me just check in here real quick. Then in the gospel, this is the gospel of Luke. While people were listening to Jesus speak, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God would appear there immediately. Now listen to this, folks. See if it sounds familiar. A nobleman went off to a distant country to obtain the kingship for himself and then to return. He called ten of his servants and gave them ten gold coins and told them, Engage in trade with these until I return. His fellow citizens, however, despised him and sent a delegation after him to announce, We do not want this man to be our king. But when he returned after obtaining the kingship, he had the servants called to whom he gave to whom he had given the money. So he had the servants call to whom he had given the money to learn what they had gained by trading. You might remember this, folks. It might sound familiar if you remember the parable of the, the I think it was 10 talents. No, it might have been, it was 10 something else. <laughs> but the parable of the talents where he gave each one talents uh, according to their, their worth or, or something like that. And he didn't mean a talent was a measure of money, right? But it's this, we're seeing the same lesson playing out here so far, where he gives the servants money and tells them to, to, to trade with it, right? The first of the servants came forward and said, Sir, your gold coin has earned ten additional ones. And he replied, Well done, good servant. You have been faithful in this small matter. Just take charge of ten cities. Wow. <laughs> is, that, is that all it's going to take to be in charge of ten cities? Because I can do that. Give me a gold coin. I'll turn it into 10. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Come hell or high water, that one coin is going to be turned into 10 gold coins. If, if, in, re, if in response, I'm going to get a command of 10 cities, I'll take it. Actually, that's, that's more power than I want, I think. Moving on. Back to the scripture. The second came and reported, Your gold coin, sir, has earned five more. 
and to this servant too, he said, You take charge of five cities. Then the other servant came and said, Sir, here is your gold coin. I kept it stored away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you. Now, you remember with the talents in the other gospel story, the other parable, he had buried it, right? For similar reasons to what we're about to hear here. I kept it stored away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a demanding man. You take up what you did not lay down, and you harvest what you did not plant. So he said to him, With your own words I shall condemn you, you wicked servant. Can you imagine? I sent I said something like this on Twitter a few days ago, or on X. Can you imagine Jesus saying this to you? With your own words I shall condemn you, you wicked servant. Could you imagine that? You knew I was a demanding man, taking up what I did not lay down, and harvesting what I did not plant. Why did you not put my money in a bank? In other words, why didn't you put it to work? Then, on my return, I would have collected it with interest. And to those standing by, he said, Take the gold coin from him and give it to the servant. He takes the gold coin away from him, gives it to the one who has ten. They're like, But why would we do that? He already has ten. And he replied, the master replies, Everyone who has more will be given, will be given more. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. And then he concludes with this line. Now, as for the enemies of mine, who did not want me as their king, bring them here and slay them before me. That's it. <laughs> bring them here and slay them before me. Wow. I wonder if this, if this is, in, in, is intended by the Holy Spirit that it connects to what we saw in the book of Maccabees. But here we have a just king, and in Maccabees we have a wicked king. In Maccabees, he's slaying them because they won't, will not apostatize, basically. It's a little bit more layered than that, but that's ultimately what it is. They won't apostatize. Here, they won't subject themselves to the king of kings. In Maccabees, they won't convert to an evil king with an evil religion. In the gospel, they won't submit to the, to the true king in the religion of truth. We, we, can, we can see it that way. It's not explicit, but we can see it that way. I don't think at the resurrection Jesus is going to say, okay, all those who didn't convert, slay them before me. But, I mean, I don't think he's going to say that literally, but that's pretty much what's going to happen. Why do I bring all this up, especially in a, in a show where I just got done talking about how God goes big with everything? Well, first of all, there are about a hundred little lessons to learn from just these two readings, right? I've only shared a few thoughts with you. You should go back and read them yourself. The gospel readings for, uh, or the mass readings for November 22nd. Go back and read them yourself because there's so much to learn in there because God goes big. In a single line, he could be telling you a dozen things. But also, here's why I bring this up. When you look I mean, when you look at what the Holy Spirit gives us in the book of Maccabees, I mean, that's an, an incredible, incredible epic story. God goes big. When you look at the gospel, you see that God goes big also because God goes big in his tenderness and in his mercy. He goes huge. God goes big in his generosity, right? You turn one coin into 10, here's 10 cities for you. He also goes big in his justice because he's perfect and he, he brings everything to perfection or to a sort of state of perfection. That includes his justice. Take the one coin away from him and give it to the one who has ten. Wow. I mean, that's pretty big. Wow. You almost hear that and you almost want to say, hey, take it easy. <laughs> take it easy on this poor guy, right? But God goes big in his justice. He goes big in his mercy, very big, but he also goes big in his justice. God is a serious player. And at the end, what do we see? For those enemies of mine, I mean, how blunt is that? For those enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them here and slay them before me. Yes, this is Jesus Christ saying that. It's a parable, but it's a parable from the mouth of Jesus, right? Right? 
it's a it's kind of a foreshadowing of the resurrection or I guess of the final judgment. People see nothing, people tend to see nothing but fluff in the Gospels. You know, I was, you might be familiar with this quote. If you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, then it isn't Jesus you believe in, but yourself. I think that comes from Augustine. I don't remember. But that's that's basically a quote from a pretty authoritative saint. I just don't quite remember who it was. I think it was Augustine. If you believe what you like and reject what you don't like, then it's not the gospel or Jesus you believe in. It's yourself. What that tells us is there are things in the gospel that people will not like. There are things in the gospel that people will not like. It kind of catches you by surprise because there are no commandments in the gospel. There are principles, but there are no thou shalt nots, thou shalt nots. I'm not going to get into it, but there are principles in the gospel. We all know that, right? Usually when we say the gospel... We associate that usually with fluffy things, right? God is love, God is mercy, God is kumbaya, God is soft and fluffy and delicious, right? The only hard thing, when someone says gospel, to 99% of the population, of the general public, let's say, let's say the general public, because practicing Christians, it might be a different thing, but the general public, general public, they hear gospel, they're thinking fluffy, flaky, soft kumbaya. The only hard thing in the gospel for most people, I I think, I'm pretty sure this has got to be true. The only hard thing in the gospel is the crucifixion, and that happens to somebody else. We don't hear gospel, believe in the gospel, and our first reaction usually isn't that there's stuff in there that's going to be hard to take, right? It's all fluff. But no, the gospel is hard. The gospel, again, God does everything big, right? Orders everything to a state or to a sort of perfection. Brings everything to to almost reflect himself, right? So when God, quote unquote, did the gospel, he went big. When Jesus lived what we see in the gospel, the three-year ministry of Jesus, he goes big in this gospel message. First thing, well, not the, literally the first thing out of his mouth, but when he says, repent and believe in the gospel, that's a big deal. It isn't just to change your life, or rather, it's not just to believe in the gospel, but it's to change your life. It's one message where people often see it as two messages and they forget the first part. They forget the repent part. This isn't this gospel reading at Mass today is an example where we see God is a serious, serious cat. Jesus is a serious player, and the gospel is a serious message. I mean, God talk, Jesus talks more about hell than he talks about heaven, and he talks about you know, salvation and judgment all the time. Now those enemies of mine who did not want me as their king, bring them here and slay them. Or you're going to pound on the door, you're going to say, Lord, Lord, let us in. I'm going to open the door and I'm going to say, I don't even know who you are. Depart from me, you evildoer. Beware, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're going to be tossed into the fire, going to separate the wheat from the chaff, and yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's a hard message. It is all of the beautiful stuff. I wouldn't call it fluff, but, you know, the, the, the average person in, in, in the public would probably think of it that way. You know, it's, it's, it is the, the kind of soft stuff or the, 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 the lovely stuff, you know, the, the easier stuff to take. It is that. You know, what's the greatest commandment? Love one another, right? The greatest commandment is love, right? Uh, and then I think he said another one, you know, the the Moses and the prophets can be summed up by one commandment, love one another. It was something like that. It's not a direct quote, but it was something like that, right? A big part of the gospel message, message is love. Love one another as I have loved you. You hear love, 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 love all the time in the gospel, it is that. It is that. But it's not just gushy flesh, the gospel. It's also strong bones. God goes big. And that means he doesn't go lopsided. As soft and gushy as people think the gospel is, well, that's in there. It is in there. I wouldn't call it weak, but it's, you know, it's, I, don't, I don't know a good synonym for it. I don't like soft and gushy, but I don't know a good, more appropriate synonym for it. 
so forgive me. But though that light and 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 warm and lovely stuff is in there, of, yeah, it is in there. But God is not lopsided. That would be dumb. He would be selling himself short to be lopsided. In the gospel, we get the whole truth. So as much as there is the light and the fluffy and the airy in the gospel, there is also those who didn't want me as their king, bring them before me and slay them. There's also... <laughs> And it's not just, you know, violent stuff or, or stuff about death and judgment. It's, I mean, folks, repent and believe in the gospel is a hard message, right? The, the principles we see that, that are exhorted or represented in the gospel, it's a hard message. It's hard to love others. It's hard to pray for your enemies. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall, I think they shall see God or they shall inherit the earth. I forget what the poor in spirit is supposed to be doing. I think it's inherit the earth. It's a hard message. It's a hard message to be poor in spirit, waiting to inherit the earth, to be denied everything so that God can restore you with everything or with, with a different kind of everything, you know? Anyhow, let me not overtalk this. I'm saying that a lot because I overtalk things a lot. The readings are incredible. I encourage you to please go back and read them. And don't just read them, but meditate on them. Find something that stands out and really rest your mind in it. Really, really rest your mind in it. Meditate on the Word of God. Because that's going to turn you into a saint. It, it is going to turn you into a saint. And that's going to do it for the first and second half of this show. That's the whole show. Boy, it was a rough start, but I think it went all right. Follow me on X at For the Queen BVM. Follow me on Facebook and YouTube at Catholic Adventurer. Thank you for joining me. If you caught this as a subscriber, thank you for subscribing and supporting my work. God bless you. God be with you all. Bye-bye.